that's what you think. <laughs> All right, so um, today we're going to talk about forgiveness. A- and I wonder, you know, when, when you became a father, if you really understood what you were getting into. I did not. I simply did not. Um, when Madison was born, who was my second child, I remember thinking very clearly, man, I love Caleb so much. I don't know if there's, I don't know if I have enough more in me to love another human, another thing like I love the child I already had. Um, and, and then Evan was born. Where is, where is your brother? He went looking, didn't he? All right. So nonetheless. Um, today we're going to talk about forgiveness, and I and it's not by accident we talk about forgiveness today, uh, because most of the baggage you carry, whether you're a man or a woman, a lot of it stems back to dad, and the train wreck or whatever it was, good, bad, indifferent, disappointments, hurts, pains, struggles, somehow trace back to some dysfunction. And so as we talk about forgiveness, that's a very difficult thing. Some things are easy to forgive because they're simple things. And I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, Tuesday night, uh, we had some people up here working, volunteering. <coughs> that's when the projector stuff got done, some stuff outside, some stuff inside. So if you've been here in the past couple weeks, um, you've noticed that when I would come this way, there's a noise on the stage. Now you know there's not a noise on the stage. And I'm going to tell you why. So the scaffold was up here, the ladies were in here, Jim Pegg was in here uh, doing some other things, and, and I'm laying on, and Pilar was here, and I'm laying on the floor looking under the stage to try to watch what happens when somebody steps on it. So you know Pilar, right? Okay. She doesn't weigh 100 pounds soaking wet. Well, she's walking, and I'm showing her, this is where you have to step, and you have to step right here, and then we'll get that noise. So she keeps doing it and doing it and doing it, and nothing happens. So I'm laying on the stage, and I said, look, you're just too skinny. And she says, well, the good news is you probably don't have to fix the stage. You just have to lose weight. (laughs) What is wrong with her? I'm not making that up. Now, what I said to her after that, I can't repeat now. No, just kidding. Um, So then actually somebody else, who I will not name their name, came up and said, let me handle it. So now Pilar and I are laying on the floor looking at what's happening underneath the stage, and and now it is fixed. And so that's an easy thing, honestly, to forgive. Uh, But they're not all like that. Some of the stuff that you have experienced um, is devastating. And it's nobody's laughing when you tell that story. And so forgiveness comes into play sometimes in our lives way after a fact or sometimes immediate, and we struggle with that. Um, I never really fathomed the pressures of being a dad until I was one and what that looked like. And it doesn't go away. It, It doesn't shrink, it doesn't fade, it doesn't disappear. I, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, about six months ago, and I was telling him what was going on in my life, and one of the first things he said to me was this. He said, you know, you're um, letting your kids down. 
said, thanks for that. So, um, so let me encourage you, um, if you have a father in your life, whether he's the father of your children or he is your father, a stepfather, a grandfather, whatever he is. Um, so let me tell you something because I am one. You have no idea what goes through the head of your dad. get up. (laughs) No matter what this looks like on the outside. matter how poorly or successfully he deals with the struggles of your life and his own, you have no idea what happens internally. And I will speak for every dad in this room. You're welcome. You're welcome that we will take that burden all the time because that's what dad does. Now, I'll also say that dads, we don't always do that successfully. There's a culture change that will happen in this church is that the men of this church will become better men and better men together. That won't happen overnight. Um, but I give you my most solemn vow that it will happen. <laughs> it will happen to the father that is sitting next to you who may or may not be your husband. It will happen to your dad who is probably sitting under the sound, the sound of my voice. That will be a culture change that happens in this church family that the men of this church will become better men and we will become better fathers. So let's talk about two factors for forgiveness because it plays a part in every relationship that we have, father or mother or whatever. And there's some influences on forgiveness. And the first one I, I've noticed and seen is that the weight of the offense in relation to the emotional proximity to you. That sounds very smart. It's not really all that smart. Here's the simple thing. The closer you are to me, the more potential you have to hurt me, which also means that their forgiveness comes into play in a quicker and more heavy way. Make sense? So the person who cuts you off in traffic, you probably don't need to have a conscious thought about forgiving them. 
But the person who shares your house or cubicle or you're in a relationship with other than common commuters going to work, they are more likely to have the opportunity to hurt you, to offend you, to never, ever apologize and never ask for forgiveness. So that influences how we think about forgiving that person. So the closer you are to them, that proximity, emotional proximity, not geographical proximity, you're probably sitting next to somebody or close to somebody right now within six or seven feet, that if they hurt your feelings, it's not going to be devastating to you. So we're not talking about geography. We're talking about emotional proximity. And then number two, influencing our ability or desire or willingness to forgive, is it my willingness to forgo my need for others to suffer? So when you've been hurt or slighted or betrayed or whatever that thing is, how willing are you to forego someone else's suffering? Now, the very last verse we'll talk about to t- that we will read today touches on that statement. So then, let's talk about forgiveness. We're not talking about I'm saying I'm sorry. You understand that? Because you can be sorry for all different kinds of things. Sorry you got caught. Sorry you're lame. Sorry that hurt your feelings, but you got what was coming to you. Sorry can mean all different kinds of things. So we're not talking about saying I'm sorry. Um, when our kids were younger and growing up, you know, one of the things we tried to do in our house was we, we really didn't say we were sorry. We said, will you forgive me for that? I tried to model that with them. So let's look at some passages of Scripture. The first one comes from Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. And we'll clarify this once we read it. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So let's understand what it's not saying. He says somebody who covers up. We're not talking about a cover-up, right? We're not talking about a conspiracy. That's not what we're talking about. What we're simply saying is you're going to choose to move in the right direction with the offense. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. So when he says, when you cover it up, he's not saying that you're brushing something out of the rug or whatever. He's simply saying, you're going to make a choice to heal or you're going to make a choice to hurt. So make a choice. This comes into play in forgiveness because the byproduct of repeating a matter really does impact your relationship. So then. If Bud, does everybody call you Bud? Does anybody really call you Bam? Everybody Bud? Bud, okay. So, because Bud's dad is Bam, or Danny, or the German, or other things that we can't say out loud in church. So, if um, if I have a problem with Bud and Bud's hurt my feelings, and I go to Brenda, what I what I understand is that even though I may say my desire to, to reconcile with Bud is there, I'm not living like it's there. What I need is for Brenda to think what I think about Bud. Bud hurt my feelings. Bud's a jerk. Bud's this. Bud's that. Bud, 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 Bud. 
I need somebody else to think about him what I think about him. Does that sound forgiving? Does that sound like I'm moving in a place of healing? No, not at all. What that sounds like is, and also what it really is, is me being unforgiving. Now, I'm not saying what Bud did was right. I'm not saying he didn't hurt my feelings. I'm not saying he didn't offend me. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm simply saying is that I need for everybody else to know that I am better than Bud. Why do I need to know why do I need you to know that? Is that really the most important thing? Because what we know is that when I repeat a matter to somebody, I'm not saying something about them. I'm saying something about me. So, we're chipping away of what it really means to be forgiven. We're not pretending like something didn't happen. We're not pretending that you're not hurt. We're, we're not brushing anything under the rug. We're not saying that those things weren't, in, in part, devastating. We're not saying that. We're just saying that what we're asking, what choice will you make? Because somebody has hurt your feelings. And somebody has betrayed you. And somebody's offended you. Somebody made you mad. Somebody disappointed you. And you've done all of those things, too. So, there's a, not a small section in the book of 2 Corinthians written by Paul to a group of people about forgiving a very specific person in their church. Now, let that sink in. Let's say that we were that church in Corinth. And somebody in our church that they all knew their name. Everybody knew their name, right? So let's let's use Derek Heron. Derek, raise your hand so they can see your hand. Hi, hi. We everybody needs to know. Now raise it up, Derek. Everybody needs to know what Derek what Derek did, how mean he was, how rude he was, all that stuff. So Paul writes a letter to our church and says, "Hey, here's now you need to deal with Derek." Holy cow! It's not just some vague thing like, oh, there's this person. No, no, no. It's, it's an individual that he writes about that everybody knows their name. So this is what he says. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. Okay. We hinted at this a second ago. I need you to be as mad at them as I'm mad at them. I need you to be offended at them as, as much as I'm offended at them. I need you to be as disappointed as I am. Pay attention to what Paul just said. If anyone has caused grief, it, it really hasn't impacted me all that much as much as it impacted you. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And we thought punishment was to make somebody hurt. 
he says, look, whatever has shaken out, whatever has happened, here's what you do now. Now that you have moved in a position of being forgiving, that you're understanding what that takes, he says, forgive him and comfort him so that he's not overwhelmed by sorrow. Oh, you should be sorry. You should feel bad. You should be miserable. Hey, thanks for that. You understand that most of us know that already? Most of us know that already. So then, if we are going to do what it takes to be forgiving human beings, we have to come to grips with just a couple things. One, you have to accept an apology that was never given. You have to forgive when forgiveness was never asked for. Oh, wait. You mean Derek doesn't have to come groveling? Oh, I am so sorry. What was I thinking? I'm not saying, I understand my tone right now is somewhat sardonic or sarcastic. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that we want at times that overwhelming display of contrition. You have to know how bad you are. And he simply says, hey, look, don't let them be overwhelmed. Don't let them be overwhelmed. You have to be willing to extend the forgiveness that was never asked for. You have to be willing to accept an apology that was never offered. That's tough. It's really tough, especially when it happens over and over again. Now, we're not saying that we become foolish in our relationships, that we continue to allow dysfunction and craziness, because that's not healthy either. But what it takes to forgive is simply that willingness to say, man, I don't want you to be overwhelmed. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Yeah. I mean, maybe today on the drive here, if you just purchased a minivan maybe in the past couple months, now you're cramming three kids into it, two boys and a girl, and they are nuts. I don't mean the fun kind of nuts. I mean, I'm g- have, have I remember being told, do you want me to pull the car over? Does anybody, does anybody say that anymore? That was a terrible, thank you, Adrian. <laughs> For many of us, we grew up, I mean, that was the fear of God. Pulling the car over was a beating. I mean, like the true sense. <laughs> on the, anywhere, on the highway, on a country road, God forbid you get on a country road because there's no witnesses there. No witnesses. On the highway, you might get lucky, but not on the country road. He says, look, forgive and comfort him so that he won't be overwhelmed. Man, there's a part of forgiveness that we have to change the way we think about each other, that we don't want somebody else to be overwhelmed. And if you've ever been overwhelmed, you know how horrible that feels. So you simply make a choice. The doing of it is not simple. But the choice is. 
and a man I don't want you to be ever around. He goes on, and he says, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient and everything. Paul had told him, he said, hey, look, man, this guy's doing some wrong stuff. You need to get this straight. And then the, he, the guy gets it straight, and now Paul says, okay, man, you've done the right thing. Now, if you forgive anyone, man, I forgive them too, because your dog in the hunt is bigger than mine. Paul didn't attend this church. He planted it, but he wasn't a member of this church. And so he simply acknowledges, you have a bigger dog in the hunt than I do. That's incredibly wise on his part. Sometimes we make choices because we're offended on somebody else's behalf. So Paul says, look, man, you guys have a bigger dog in the hunt than I do. And so you have forgiven him. You're making it right. And so I will do the same. And when I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. That's his motivation. Now catch verse 11. I've done that. I've offered forgiveness in the sight of Christ in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his scheming. That we will not be outsmarted by Satan. I think every church on the planet, this one included, attempted to have hard and unforgiving hearts, and we get outwitted by Satan. We don't think of it like that. We don't, but we should. So when, when we become reactionary and, and we think that somebody else should do the right thing, and they're not, and so I'm going to get it, I'm going to straighten it all out. You're being outwitted by Satan. I, I have a handful of people, a couple in this room, but more outside of this room, that have full access to my life. Can say anything to me, ask me anything, challenge me anything, tell me I'm full of it, all kinds of stuff. I talked to one of them this morning. I called him, wished me a happy Father's Day. Because I don't want to be outwitted by Satan. And so that move to forgive is the fight against that. Because the Bible says that Peter says, that Satan is like a roaring lion roaming around trying to devour us. Dad, I want you to understand something. You're a believer. You've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And here's what I want you to know. That you are a city on a hill. And you're a lamp on a stand. Both of those statements come from the mouth of Jesus about who the church is to its community. And you are that to your home, that you are a city on a hill, that you are a lamp on a stand. And so be that. I think 
most men that I've ever known in my entire life, and me included in, at some extent for some period of years, and this is going to sound really bizarre to you, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me for what I'm about to say because it's going to sound really horrible about me, that we failed to be the spiritual leaders in our house. So if right now you're tempted to look down at the ground, there's nothing to look at on the ceiling anymore. Mom, what? She's, Brenda, your mother just stared at the ceiling. She just, you know, looking around. You need to understand, Dad, your lamp on the ceiling ain't pretty on the hill. And you're worried about failing. I, I get it. Story of my life. Worrying about being disappointing to people. I get it. It's a story of my life. You're, you're worried about getting it wrong more than you get it right and people finding out. I understand. It's a story of my life. Yeah, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. Your children need, your family needs, your community needs, your church needs you to be a lamp on the stand and a city on a hill. Now the very last verse we'll look at jumps back to the last, the, the second kind of statement about I need to forego my, my desire for other people to suffer. And we're going to talk about what this verse is saying and what it's not saying. It comes from the mouth of Jesus as he's hanging on a cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes and gambled with him. That's what it means by casting lots. They rolled dice. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You understand they're crucifying him. Roman soldiers, that was one of their jobs. They knew what they were doing. They were good at it. You also understand that the fact that Jesus entered in humanity during one of the most cruelest forms of execution in the history of the world. And that was the Roman crucifixion. He didn't enter into humanity in 2018 where he could just went to an electric chair and it was over like that. He entered into humanity to die the most cruel and agonizing death ever known to humanity, ever invented by mankind. And he's hanging on a cross and he looks at the people who he is currently shedding his own blood to pay for that sin specifically. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So he's not talking about the obvious, is he? They knew what they were doing. They had just driven nails through this part of his wrist right here. And they had just driven nails through his feet, and they're about to put a spear into his side. They've already beat him. They've already mocked him. They've already put a crown of thorns on his head. 
They've already made him carry his cross up the hillside to what we call Golgotha. They knew what they were doing. They were professionals at it. So when he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, he has to be talking about something less than obvious. He has to be talking about, they don't know who I am. They don't know the weight of this moment. They don't know the heaviness of this choice. And we understand that most of the things that we need to be forgiven for, we, we did not know the weight of that sin. We did not know the devastation that would follow. We did not know the storm that was waiting to happen because of our behavior. We knew what we were doing in the moment. But we did not know the outcome. We did not know the weight of those unintended consequences. And Jesus says, Forgive them for that. Forgive them for that. So, our logical conclusion is if Jesus can say that, why can't I? My two excuses are what we started with. Because you are too emotionally close to me and daggone it, you should have known better. How can you do that to me? That first one. Second one is I need you to suffer. I need you to feel bad. Are yours any different? So the real root of it all, when you're willing, when you're unwilling to be forgiving, are they that different than those two, in some level or another? As a dad, as a man, as oh, just a plethora of train wrecks. I know that that move in my life to be forgiving when it makes no sense to be forgiving. To run in that direction changes my world. And by changing that, it changes to some extent all the world that matters. Someone said this morning a very brilliant statement. And I've quoted this person before, and I'm going to quote them again. I will call them by name. And this morning, Brian Morgan said, you know, if this doesn't offend you, then how can it offend me? If you're not complaining about this, then how can I? In a nutshell, if you can forgive, then I should be able to forgive. 
been Brian's pastor for almost longer than I've been anybody else's pastor. And he is dear to me. Now, he's a knucklehead. But what I know is that if Jesus can forgive, why can't I forgive? Dad, you are a city on a hill and you're a lamp on a stand. Make no excuses for it. Live that out. Demonstrate to the people in your sphere of influence what it looks like to forgive. Anybody can be mad. Anybody can set somebody else straight. Anybody can gossip. Anybody can run someone else down. Anybody can make someone else look bad so you look better. Anybody can do that. Anybody. It takes no special gift. So be the other. Be the other. Your world depends on it. Let's pray. You are a good, good father. And we are humbled in your presence. And I pray over the people today. I pray over dads today. I pray over all those relationships in our lives that desperately need growth and healing and change and forgiveness. I pray over all of those things today. I pray over the men of this church today, whether they're fathers or not, that they truly would look like you, that I would look like you. I would look like you, that I would talk like you, that I would live like you, that I would love like you. Father, I pray over Roger as today um, we just celebrate the new thing in his life that you are doing with him and his family. I pray blessings on them right now. I pray that you would go before them, that you would be um, ahead of them for every step of their lives, that you would keep them close to you you would pull them in, that you would be a blessing to them, that you'd be a God and a Father to them. We love you, and we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your forgiveness for us, and we help that that would show up in our lives. You're good, and we love you. We ask these things in your powerful name.